It is March 21st, 1956, the 28th annual Academy Awards, which are live in two cities once again, both Hollywood, California at the RKO Patentageous Theater and at the NBC Century Theater in New York City, New York. We uh, have Jerry Lewis presiding over the activities in uh, California, over in New York. Both Claudette Colbert and Joseph L. Mankiewicz are bringing in the laughs in New York <laughs> City. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you're, you're like, uh, uh, you're like, oh, man, which I can't get to the L.A. one, but I'll go to New York. And, like, Jerry Lewis is, like, you know, making all sorts of jokes, I'm sure, over in L.A. and New York, they have, you know, uh, a fine comedian in Claudette Colbert. But something tells me she's very stately. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> you and, mean to tell me uh, that Claudette Colbert doesn't know how to tell a knock-knock joke? I, I just don't see her as as someone who's like uh, hamming it up or uh, surprising everybody by coming in as Queen Elizabeth, you know, like Whoopi. <laughs> Very true. She didn't come from the rafters. And I don't know. I don't really know what Joseph L. Mankiewicz is like in front of the camera, so I can't. He's witty. Anyway, uh what is this? Okay, 28th Annual Academy Awards. It's time for the big award of the night. The envelope, please. And the winner is... Marty. Aw. Aw. Interesting direction for us to take the Oscars in. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's the same old, same old at the ceremony. Uh, this was Jerry Lewis's first time recording, which I guess was... Bob Hope on vacation? <laughs> it just seems very <laughs> strange to me that he wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, anytime Bob Hope isn't hosting during this period, I, I just assume something happened. <laughs> yes, but it gives us Jerry Lewis. And, you know, this was kind of the, his kickoff for his solo um, career in comedy. And, yeah, I think it's it definitely speaks for itself. Yeah, because, um, you know, he, uh, he made all those movies with... Um, Dean Martin. And then, of course, he became his own thing while Dean Martin was, you know, finding a pack of rats to hang out with. <laughs> I got that, but, like, I got it a second too late where I was like, wait, rats? Oh. <laughs> I felt stupid and then he was for like, a solid his, second. It was like a little drink, you know. And <laughs> But, yeah, this is an interesting year. This is, this is the year, um, in a lot of ways, that uh, Hollywood's really embracing... After last year, where we had this totally different type of movie win, Hollywood is kind of continuing in that vein, going with um, a film that's a little non-traditional. Um, and that, I think, extends to a lot of the winners in the other categories, too. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. So this will be an interesting one to uh, to dive into. Yeah, so dive in we shall. Should we kick off with supporting actor? Uh, Sure. Um, Why not, right? This is the this is his first. This is uh, Jack Lemmon. It's gonna win two. He will eventually. Yes, we have Jack Lemmon who wins for Mr. Roberts. Arthur Kennedy is nominated for Trial. Joe Mantel for Marty. Uh, Sal Mineo, Rebel Without a Cause, and Arthur O'Connell when he took a picnic. Those are the nominees. But Jack Lemmon is the winner, which I will be completely honest with you. 
any movie you want to give an Oscar to Jack Lemmon, do it. I love him so much. There's not a false bone in that man's acting body. He is he is such a force of nature. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he's so adept at both comedy and drama. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we're going to get to uh, a movie that won Best Picture that he's in in a few years, uh, which is a great, great movie. Um but uh, it's interesting because this is like the beginning for Jack Lemmon. This is right where where his career starts. And, um, and it's interesting to me that just like automatically people recognized that talent. And uh, I mean, literally for the next 50 years, he's going to remain a heavy hitter in Hollywood. He was he was headlining movies in the 90s, you know, um, as a star and the movies would make money. So. This is one of the the great Hollywood careers, in my opinion. I love that he kicks off that career, um, you know, with with an Oscar. I don't know if this is this is near his first film. He had a bit part in one movie in '49, and then he had made three uh, features in the year before Mr. Roberts. Wow! And so this uh, this was really right at the beginning. Uh, Definitely his career. And I like what you said about how Jack Lemmon can effortlessly go between comedy and drama. He really can and frequently does in all the performances that he um, does on screen. And what I like about this role, I watched some clips on YouTube and this really this role is really kind of um, formulates every Jack Lemmon role after this, that kind of like near do well, he's really trying hard, kind of comes up short, but he has a good sense of humor about it. That is really what this role is. And I think people saw that and continue to cast him in those kinds of characters forever because he just plays those parts so well. And also this is a true supporting actor performance. He really does support Henry Fonda in this movie. So I think it's just, yeah, it, I think this was, this is a beautiful win for an actor who is just starting to become one of Hollywood's biggest lights. Have you ever seen, uh, days of wine and roses? I've seen parts of it and it gets okay. messy. <laughs> just, uh, just going to put that one on your list for you for, for 62, whenever we mm-hmm. get there. I do want to touch on uh, two other nominees, though. I think two other nominees stick out to me, Joe Mantel and Marty and Sal Mineo in Rebel Without a Cause. I feel like these two have probably gone on to stand the test of time better than Trial and Picnic have, in my opinion. Um, I think Joe Mantel and Marty is so delightful. He's just such a... He's that best friend you have who wants you to do good, but only if he does good with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wants to be pulled along with you. Otherwise, if he's going to be depressed, he wants you to stay depressed as well. You know, that kind of like codependent friendship thing that can happen between two people who have aged out of their younger years and now are just lonely together. I just think it's- I agree with you. It is a very uh, it, it's the definition, again, of a supporting performance. It totally makes sense that it's here. Um, I also I mean, Sal Minio, is that the other one you're going to talk about? Um, yeah, I think that's a good one to highlight, too. Sal Minio on Rebel Without a Cause, I have to say. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause um, is uh, so homoerotic. It is. Yes, it is. And on purpose. I know. It's so, um, 
Rebel of the Outer Cause is like high melodrama. And um, I mean, like, it, it's like the definition of melodrama, in my opinion. Like, the whole thing's so dramatic. It's such um, teen, it's like teen angst. Like, that's all it oh, is. Oh, to the nth degree. <laughs> um, and um, we'll talk more about it in the next category, too. But um, uh, Sal Minio is just kind of like, it, he's like in love with James Dean. And I think the movie wants us to think it's just an idolization, but it's like, I don't know. Uh, It's a little, it's a little much, but I, but he plays it really well. So. Oh yeah. And like I said, it's absolutely on purpose. I was reading, there's some earlier drafts of the Rebel with Cause script where the two characters kiss, but of course that wasn't going to get through censors in 1955. So they had to get creative on how they kind of got that homosexual, attraction between the two and was supposedly a homosexual homosexual and he um he uh he he died very tragically in weho actually yes um one of i mean this is i mean the lore behind rebel without a cause i think is almost as famous as the movie itself the doomed uh the doomed cast absolutely and i feel Uh, like you know it just adds to the mystery of how the you, production actually went down. You know that, that house that they hang out in in the movie is the same house from Sunset Boulevard. Oh, do I ever. And how amazing is that? Did you know, here's something I read about, uh, the pool at that house. Uh-huh. Was, first of all, the pool, uh, the whole house was owned by um, the Getty family. John Paul Getty, his wife, owned the house. And she only allowed Sunset Boulevard to film there if they built the pool for her. So the only reason there's a pool there is because production had to build it so they could actually film at that house. Isn't that so silly? <laughs> that is, that's hilarious. And it's so funny because they ended up gutting the house just a few years after that, you know? True. But I do think the pool almost has, um, I don't know, it seems like the pool got used more than the house itself. You know, I think the, the pool almost became more famous with the, the beginning of Sunset Boulevard yeah. where he's dead in the pool. And then Rebel Without a Cause when they're in the pool having the other their lengthy conversation about life as as teens do. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I do in the pool. Absolutely. Um, but I think I think Rebel Without a Cause is important, though, because it really shows how Hollywood is now going to start marketing to the teenage audiences. I think they had before, but this, I think, was a really a first example of how if you market to teenagers with that melodrama we were talking about, you can make some big bucks. Yeah, no, that is um, that is definitely something that's been realized. I mean, I think the first big uh, movie um, that does that is, um, is, it, is it Blackboard Jungle? Um, is that 55? Yeah, 55 Blackboard Jungle, um, you know, has like Glenn Ford playing like a, a, a teacher, you know, and there's, Mm -hmm. and Sidney Poitier is in it. And, um, and I believe that's the song Rock Around the Clock is in it. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, so it had like that cross appeal where you put a pop song in and, um, and, uh, then there was uh, after this, we we go to genres that are not quite so melodramatic. You know, we start getting movies uh, like Gidget. We get um, 
movies that star, you know, Elvis and, <laughs> you know, just like things that are marketed towards a younger audience, which, you know, and then the 60s, the beach movies, you know, all these things that didn't necessarily exist before, yeah. um, or at least not in the same way, because before television existed, movies were kind of made in a way that for most, not all, but for most, all the whole family could go. And there was appeal for everybody. And I think that once television came in, they became more microscopic in their um, in their targeting. Mm, definitely. I think so. Because you're right. The movies needed to reach a broad appeal. I mean, that's why the whole, you know, Breen office and the censorship was kind of built in the first place was to make wholesome quality movies that everybody could go see. But I think with the, the start of television, they realized that you know, moviegoers can be broken up into different markets and they can still make a bunch of money. This really, I think, proved that. And also, it's one of those first movies that really deals with what it's like to be a teenager and what it's like and, like, you know, reflected through a teenager's eyes. This movie is told through kids, not through their parents. You know, parents are painted in a terrible light in this movie, basically saying kids are bad because their parents are bad to them. You know, which is also why I think um, producers and companies did not want this movie to be released. I mean, when this movie went to Great Britain, it had to be cut and edited, and it was still received an X rating over in Britain, you know, just because of the subject matter. You know, the homosexuality is not even brought up in it, but it was still taboo enough to get an X rating in 1955, which, you know, mm-hmm. by today's standards, it seems tame. But you got to think about it back then. This stuff was never seen in a movie shocking. before so shocking so shocking um well let's uh let's go ahead and go over to supporting actress then yes, um yes. we have a few interesting nominees in this since we're talking about rebel without a cause we can probably go ahead and discuss our our uh our little natalie who oh. um is about to i mean like she's going to be brought up a few times in the next decade um I adore Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood is one of my favorite stars. I love the fact that she was such an amazing child actress and then became such a great, serious actress who really took herself and her craft very seriously. And Rebel Without a Cause, which there are lots of stories about how she got this role, um, and some are a little upsetting and some... Or not. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but regardless of how she landed with the role of Judy in Rebel Without a Cause, you know, she was only 15, 16 at the time. And um, and it's just, um, it's a star-making performance. It takes somebody who had kind of aged out of being a child actress and, you know, probably could have faded into obscurity pretty quickly and just bust her out into the dramatic scene in a very real and tangible way. And she just has so much, she has an electric quality. She She's a star. She's a total star. Yes, without a doubt. I completely agree with that. And you're right. I think she had developed from being a child actor this very wholesome, good girl attitude in movies. 
And this is a really a step away from that, you know, in a much darker direction. And yes, the the stories behind how she got this role are can be a little troublesome if you do read about them. You know, I read stories where she didn't get the part at first because she was the age of the character and Hollywood wanted somebody older for some strange reason. Um, so she, you know, started putting on a bunch of makeup and doing her hair a different way, dressing a different way, and attracted the attention of the director, Nicholas Ray, who finally saw her as something different, you know. And I guess there's rumors as well that the two had an affair on set. There's also rumors that Nicholas Ray had an affair with Sal Minio. So, I mean, the rumors just go on and on about what actually went on behind the scenes of this movie, which I think also, you know, kind of helps the movie you know all these rumors we hear about then we watch the film and we see all this crazy sexual angry tension between these characters and i guess the rumors have some sense to them yeah yeah um for sure and you know if you ever uh crack open any type of um natalie wood biography believe me natalie wood Probably in part because she died so tragically and so young, um, you know, only uh, 42, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and 43. And um, I, if you don't know the circumstances surrounding her death, I don't know where you've been because it <laughs> comes back up in the news, it seems, every single year, every single Thanksgiving, because it happened around Thanksgiving in 83, um, but, uh, just know that she is a footnote in Christopher Plummer's biography. <laughs> Not Christopher, Christopher Walken. Walken. Christopher Walken. Oh, poor Christopher Plummer. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring you into this Christopher Plummer. <laughs> Although we will be discussing something that you hate in about 10 years. There we go. Uh, <laughs> uh and I... of course she is, um, for better or worse, largely defined the career of Robert Wagner. Yes. Um, so, I mean, she's she's fascinating, but she's so much more than her death. She is she is an incredible, uh, illustrious screen presence, and there's a reason why she continues to capture people's imagination beyond you know whatever happened on the Splendor in Catalina. Definitely. So. And I will say, of those three sort of definitive performances from Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, Sal Mineo, and Natalie Wood, I do think Natalie Wood's performance is the weakest. It kind of leaves the the, the least amount of impact, um, which is why I think this nomination is great, and it definitely sh- you know it shows support from the Academy and the film industry of her transition to more adult roles. But I think the nomination was the win. You know, I think yeah, um, yeah. Oh, between the other nominations, there's some other much bigger heavy hitters here. Yeah, and and there's two other Best Actress nominations for Natalie Wood, both of which are great performances, and we'll get those to those. Um, uh, there's uh, I don't know anything about uh, Marissa Pavan. Okay, so The Rose to Two. I watched this movie a little bit ago, and I thought it was dreadful. I think it has a huge tone problem. It doesn't know if it's supposed to be dramatic, comedy, coming of age. It's very, very weird. I personally think Burt Lancaster and um, Anna McNani have zero chemistry. And I also think the supporting nomination for Marisa Pavin is dumb. She is dreadful in this movie. I don't understand it at all. But 
I don't know, it's a different time. Maybe <laughs> she had a different story that I'm just not aware of in the public eye. I have no idea. Yeah. So um, I'm I out of respect for her. I'm just going to move forward. <laughs> That's um, fair. Very interesting nomination uh, for Peggy Lee, who I would say almost everybody knows as a singer, um, perhaps for singing the song "He's a Tramp" from <laughs> Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then she makes a uh, rare appearance as an actress, um, didn't make that many movies. Uh, she didn't make another feature film after this one, even though she got this nomination. Um, but Pete Kelly Blues uh, also has uh, Janet Lee and Edmund O'Brien. There you go. And uh, Jack Webb is Pete Kelly. It is, um, uh, she plays an alcoholic jazz singer. Ella Fitzgerald also has a cameo. And this movie has early appearances from Lee Marvin and Jane Mansfield. Like it's it's okay. an interesting film, but it's it's one of those where um, I think the nominations, the the congratulations here, because I, I I don't think many people thought of her as an actress, and so she just kind of turned in a a, a great performance in a in a well seen movie, and here's your nomination. So for sure. Yeah, I think the final two, in my opinion, are the two that really stand out. That between Betsy Blair and Marty and Joe yeah. Van Fleet in East of Eden. What do you think of those two? Um, huh. I, I've been thinking <laughs> about this, too. Um, mm -hmm. So Betsy Blair, you know, doesn't have a ton uh, besides this on her filmography, mm -hmm. you know. She, um, at least as far as things that we know about, um, before this movie was made, she had not really had starring roles before, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and her main claim to fame was that she was, at the time, the wife of Gene Kelly. <laughs> um, kind of a big deal. Yeah, which is a big deal. Um, Especially in and 1955. He really, and he really fought for her to get this part too. Um, and she's, she's really, really good in this movie. Oh, isn't um, she though? She's just darling. It's, it's, it's hard not to fall in love with her. <laughs> and what the issue here is, as far as discussing who should win, mm -hmm. is Joan Van Fleet, who wins for East of Eden, uh, basically has like two really, strong scenes yep and they're strong it. scenes yeah. but it's two and betsy blair while still being the supporting performance in this movie i mean she is the lead female but i don't but she she's she's not in more than half the film i don't think oh yeah does that make sense definitely um, I, I think that she is i i would have picked her uh, Joan Flanty Van Fleet might have had some more, uh, I think she might have had some more clout at the time. Maybe that has something to do with it. She had been a stage actress and won a Tony. So maybe um, she's also in the Rose Tattoo, interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I think, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe that Tony Award kind of jetsoned her on this track 
I'm not sure, but it just seems with all the other awards that Marty got, this would have made sense for me too. Yeah, I think so too. I would have gone with Betsy Blair as well. I think that is the better performance, but I wonder if the fact that she had been blacklisted, if that played a part in her not winning the Oscar. Yes, Gene Kelly was able oh, to. Oh, that's right. You know, maybe, right. you know, Gene Kelly convinced producers to cast her, but I don't think he could convince Oscar voters to vote for her having been blacklisted the, you know, uh, only a couple of years before. I I completely forgot. Uh, which, which honestly, the fact that she was blacklisted just makes me love her even more because she refused to name names and she stuck by her political beliefs like you should. Sure, I bet you you're right. I, I, I wish I had. You, you're so much smarter than me in this instance. I completely had forgotten that she had been blacklisted. Um, uh, I had read that before, but I, I will admit I didn't read reread her biography before. <laughs> I, oh, I did. I read all of them, all the biographies. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very impressed with you for, for refreshing your Betsy Blair. But yeah, I would give it to her personally on performance. Me too, me too because you know, when she, she comes into the film and automatically you're on her side because she comes to the, the, we'll talk about Marty a little bit later on, but I just think her entrance is so perfect the way she's set up, her character is set up by arriving on a, at this dance hall on a blind date. And we instantly know this guy that she's on a date with does not like her he's so unattracted to her that he finds a way to basically blow her off and then she just leaves crying because she realizes that nobody in this dance hall wants her and it's you know you you find out later on this has happened to her before she has terrible insecure issues and i mean it's just heartbreaking so the first 10 minutes of seeing her on the screen you already just want to like pull her to you and give her a big hug because you feel so bad for her and that's a hard trick to pull off do you think that our relation to this character has anything to do with our own personal lives. <laughs> you mean our our terribly troubled past of being rejected for being gay at a young age? Oh, probably. <laughs> oh, I was talking about not having a man, but yeah. Oh, okay, that, yeah. That, that too, that too. too. <laughs> what you said, that yours, yours is better. <laughs> throw that on the list too. <laughs> oh, okay. Do we want to do actor or actress first? What are you, what are you feeling? Let's get into actor, shall we? Okay, um, so I, I mean, like, uh, neither one of us are going to have a problem with this. It, it's interesting, like, uh, I, I feel like the James Dean nomination is posthumous, first time this has happened. Um, it's interesting because uh, there were two movies to choose from here, and his co-stars in Rebel Without a Cause were nominated for that movie, but he got the nomination for East of Eden, um, and someone else was nominated from East of Eden. I'm just saying it's interesting they had the choice and they chose East of Eden. I do think East of Eden probably is the more, like Rebel Without a Cause is the more iconic performance. I think East of Eden may be the more difficult performance. So I'm not, I'm on board with that. Mm -hmm. I yes, don't know. I, I like, yeah. I prefer East of Eden to Rebel Without a Cause. I don't know if that's controversial or not. Mm -hmm. Um Mm, slightly. I, it is. It is. I, <laughs> I like that though. Okay. But um, but I don't know. It's just a little bit more grounded for me. I don't Fair. know. I think it's more of like an actor's performance. I mean, who doesn't want to play the leading role in a Cain and Abel story? You know, we all want that. It's it's like an actor's dream. Or Elia Kazan too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I also think that played a huge part because I think you know people were kind of touting. James Dean to be the next Marlon Brando, just like they had done with Montgomery Clift a couple of years before. 
And uh, to be in a film directed by, you know, the director, Eli Kazan, who gave Brando his career, I think was another reason to nominate him for that film over Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, exactly. Meanwhile, we got uh, Frank Sinatra, who um, is nominated again for what I believe he thought was his best performance. Um, Man with Golden Arm uh, also has uh, Kim Novak, Eleanor Parker. Um, but, uh, of course, by this point, he had already won an Oscar. And I, I have to say, like, I, I think that for me, him having a supporting Oscar, I like better than him having a lead Oscar. Because I don't think of Frank Sinatra as being a, I mean, like, he gave some really great performances. I don't think of him as being an, an actor. Mm-hmm. I like him having a supporting actor not, uh, win. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I agree with you. And I also think, too, the performance um in from here to eternity is just so classic sinatra like you really it feels very close to who he is because it was close to who he was he said that a lot whereas these subsequent films he was in was them trying to like expand upon that and i just don't think he quite rises to the occasion like he did in from here to eternity so i agree with you yeah um uh i i have seen bad day at black rock on the big screen believe it or not Mm. um it's kind of a very interesting color noir Mm. um and spencer tracy is great in it he's always great in everything he already has oscars so so i don't need to give it that to him the main recommendation for this movie is that it's 81 minutes long I love short movies. That's I love favorite. them so much. <laughs> um, but it's a fun little movie where he basically comes to uh, a town um, and the the town is a town that no one ever stops at. Um, and, uh, and so everyone automatically realizes a new person's in town. And is wondering what that person is doing there. And um, it, it becomes violent. That's, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to say oh. too much about this movie. Because uh, it's, it just takes you on a little bit of a ride. Sure. But it is, um, it's a very interesting film. And he does a great job in it. Um, James Cagney, Love Me or Leave Me. I love James Cagney. He won for his ultimate definitive performance, which is Yankee Doodle Dandy. So he doesn't need another one, even though he is a great actor. But I will say, I have also seen Love Me or Leave Me in the last year. It is probably Doris Day's best dramatic performance, which it's a shame she's not in the best actress race for this. Um, but he, uh, it's a great movie and he's great in it. But the big story here is nobody else should win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, really. This is not, you know, hard to figure out. Ernest Borgnine owns Marty. He is Marty. There's no other person you could give this Oscar to. Yeah, no, it's it's all him. Yeah, he's just so charming. Like, he's just the ultimate good guy. Again, like, Marty, the brilliance of Marty is it's just so simple because it just focuses on people and characters, people that we all know and people that we can see in ourselves as well, you know, and you just want them 
to be together and you just you know you just want only good things for him i just oh god it's it's so good it's so good i just i can't say enough good things about his performance in this movie yeah no he is um this is such a great it's a star it's a basically a star making turn too because before this you know people might have known him as that guy in from here to eternity who's at the at the club you know Mm -hmm, exactly Uh, and he just breaks out as this incredibly unique looking and sympathetic figure that you immediately relate to yeah um and and it's a great story too because he um uh, he's in bad day at blackrock as well by the way forgot to mention that he continued making movies until he died um and he died in uh 2012 and he had a uh let's see he had a uh a, a movie released in 2012. Oh my gosh. In 2011, he was in, uh, in 2011, he was in four films and four films in 2010. And uh, in 2010, he also made a cameo on Saturday Night Live. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah, he worked. I think this movie really propelled PR. him to stardom. Yeah. yeah, and he literally didn't stop working. And you can see why. I think he's such a presence on the screen. And this is the per- perfect part for him, playing, you know, a 34-year-old guy from the Bronx, the last of his siblings to still not be married. Mom wants to, like, kick him out. He's, you know, he's under so much pressure to find a wife, and he just wants to be left alone, basically. And until he meets... Betsy Blair and he sees a person who's very similar to him equally insecure you know is reaching a certain age where it's becoming socially unacceptable to not be married and they really connect and again you just see their relationship blossom over the course of one evening and it's so pure it's it's, the love is so pure you can feel it it's so natural it is it it just it, it develops so naturally and you totally buy it and you absolutely do. And I think a lot of, I will say this, I think a lot of the um, the credit is to Patty Shaevsky's script, his first of three Oscars for writing and a screenplay. He, he earned, I mean, like, we are going to be, that's another person who uh, we're going to be talking about more, obviously, because he wins three Oscars. But for yeah, the next, yeah. like, 20 plus years, he is one of the go-to writers in Hollywood. And he... He just his writing is so slice of life, you know. Oh yeah, uh, and so specific. Mm-hmm. It, it's just great character studies. Yes. It's what he does. Mm-hmm. And this isn't this movie isn't about plot, you know. Oh no, it's about, it's about people about being feelings. people. Yes, yeah. exactly. And. It's just so, I mean, like, unless you are the most beautiful person on earth, you've never had a pimple, and you were born a cute baby and then aged into a a, a daddy, you know, or whatever. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, stop describing daddy. me, Rans. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, 
then it's impossible not to relate to feeling unattractive, feeling like an outcast, feeling like this. And this movie just speaks to anybody who's ever felt like they didn't belong. Definitely. Yeah, people who feel like it's almost like it's a movie for people who think there will never be a movie made about them. But this is for, yeah, like you just said, it's for all the outcasts, you know, you're included, too. I am? Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were speaking specifically to me there. I was like, why are you calling me? Do you think of me as an outcast, Sam? Is this this what this is about? All right, best actress. Okay, let's get into this. I'm not going to lie to you, Renz. I have slim to nothing to say about the best actress category this year. Normally our favorite, but I think this is a very peculiar year for actresses it i've is. said my piece about the rose tattoo which anna bignani wins the oscar for i think it's a bizarre film but it clicked with the public back then so they must have been doing something right well i also think anna bignani would have become so famous as an italian an actress in italian cinema um known for the neo-realism and i think the award was probably as much for um, uh, much for her reputation as it was for the film. So that probably has something to do with it. And also, like, you know how America, like, whenever a an incredible actress from overseas uh, comes over here and makes a movie, how much we, we want to uh, encourage them to keep blessing us with their talent. <laughs> oh, sure, 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 sure. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, no, I guess I just prefer Anna McNani when she's speaking in Italian. I think she's much better. <laughs> uh, Susan Hayward uh, is going to win an Oscar soon, uh, probably for what most would consider to be her definitive performance. So yeah. uh, she doesn't need to win for I'll Cry Tomorrow. Eleanor Parker uh, is not somebody we talk about a lot today. She was a pretty prolific uh, actress uh, at the time. Uh, We did talk about her a couple of years ago because she was nominated for Caged. And she um, is known to most people as being, as I said, in 1950, the Baroness Baroness von Strader in um, The Sound of Music. Um, she is a, I have not seen an erupted melody, so I don't want to speak to that performance. I'm sure she's great in it. She seems like she's always great. So there you go. Jennifer Jones's, uh, nomination is offensive. Um, (laughs) I mean, like, but actually, cause she plays a Eurasian doctor or something. Oh no. Oh no. European and half, um, English. Um, and so they give her the full, you know, they, they do makeup to make her look more Asian. And, um, and the movie though was very successful because it was, um, you know, a big, you know, lots of romantic shirtless stuff with William Holden. Of course. Um, And there's a song called love is a mini splendored thing that may be better known than the movie itself. It won an Oscar for best original song. Um, and Alfred Newman won one of his Oscars for this movie as well. I think he won more than one, right? I want to say he did. He's yes, definitely he been nominated a billion times. Yes. And, and he is part of a musical score legacy. His uh-huh. son, David Newman, who um, 
is the, he's the one who conducts with John Williams every year at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, Thomas Newman is yes. the more famous brother because he's done more movies. But like David Newman did, I'm looking at his stuff right now. He, he did like um, uh, The Nutty Professor and Galaxy Quest and Ice Age. And Thomas Newman, though, uh, does a lot of um, really regal movies like Shawshank Redemption. Oh, and, yeah. and, and more Skyfall. like more contemporary films which is why i think people probably know thomas newman more you know he's done more films today <laughs> his daughter maria newman is also a composer oh, wow. um as is his grandnephew joey his granddaughter jocelyn newman dorn is a music editor and his nephew randy newman <laughs> who some people might know um for writing a song randy called you, you got a friend they'd be you yeah. got a friend they'd be <laughs> oh, yes Musical legacy, just feel I should mention Alfred Newman. He's the patriarch of this family. Love that. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, Love is a Mini Splinter thing is really problematic because of this quality. Which leads me to what I would probably choose as the best performance of 1955, and that yes. is Catherine Hepburn in Summertime. <laughs> that was all I wrote down under my category for best actress was why didn't Catherine Hepburn win? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, at this point, Catherine Hepburn only had one Oscar. Yeah. Um, hadn't won in over 20 years. Um, we have the foresight to know that she will win an Oscar in the 60s for a very good supporting performance. Um, in the lead category. Right. There we go. <laughs> I'm talking about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yes. She's not, um, I, I mean, she is a lead in that movie. I'm just saying um, it's just interesting to me that she won for that movie because she doesn't have a ton to do in the film. Right. Um, we'll get to that when we get to 67. I really like Catherine Hepburn having four Oscars. Oh, I don't too. mind that that happened. Um, I just want to shift around a little bit what she won for. And... I think that I would probably, at least at this juncture, I may change my mind, trade um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner for Summertime. I love that idea, especially since this is a David Lean film and, like, not a short long time. epic, David. <laughs> What'd you say? Just, like, last short movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, this isn't, like, a long epic David Lean film of subsequent years. This is still a cute little character-driven um romantic tragic romance story in the and lines of a like, brief encounter the most beautiful location photography stunning um of of uh venice you know it is it is absolutely beautiful yeah she's um, got my my vote for this year as well love you kate great well, love ya <laughs> all right so this gets its director and picture yes which um, went hand in hand this year just about, except for, uh, well, yeah, the nominees are not. No, the nominees, uh, no, they're kind of all over the place. Yeah, for some reason, uh, Love has been her splinter thing.
um, because there's nothing that that's epic about it. There's nothing that um, feels overblown or melodramatic. It's just a little story that takes place over two days, right? Um, and it's told simply, and as soon as that story comes to an end, the movie's an end. We watch Ernest Borgnine go through an arc, um, a realization of, of confidence, basically. And once he's captured that, we don't know how his story ends up with the girl, but we walk away knowing that everything's going to be okay. Definitely. I was actually, that was exactly what I wanted to ask you is, do you wish the ending had been slightly different where we do get to see him get the girl or is the phone call at the end enough for you? I'm curious. Did you want a little bit more or is that a good thing? You know, (laughs) no, I liked it the way it was. I I felt like um, that was an honest way to end it, end it. And that going for the the clinch kiss or whatever would have been um, would have been uh, schlocky, you know. I think so too because you know if we end the film seeing him get the girl, they kiss. It's that Hollywood romance ending, you know. Then it becomes about Marty getting a girl and not about Marty becoming confident like you said the end of the film shows that he he breaks through these ideas that his friends and family put on him you know they say marty you're never going to get married you're never going to be anything else he's finally able to overcome that and become his own person and i think that is the actual story being told with the you know the writing trope of boy meets girl but it's really about marty coming into his own and by the end of the film where it ends he does that successfully marty meets marty Ooh, Marty does. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. <laughs> GM rants. Oh, actually, I found out this was, I think, the only time producers spent more money on an awards campaign for the film than they did for the actual movie. They spent about 400000 for the the campaign for Oscars and only about 300000 to actually make the movie. <laughs> what a great return on your investment, right? Isn't that crazy? And it worked. It made over $3 million. So, boom, there you go. Um, No, it's it's so good. Like, uh, you should definitely go watch this immediately. If only because it's literally the shortest Best Picture winner of all time. It still is. 90 minutes. It is. It is the, the shortest. shortest one. Yeah. Um, it, it, believe me, this is much easier than sitting through some Best Picture winners that... We're, we're also talk about made, next week. <laughs> I haven't started around the world in 80 days yet. Um, I know that it may take me 80 days to watch it. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm curious about the movie. Uh, have you started it yet? No, I have not. Okay. So we are both going in here blind. This was it was remade in 2004. I think the remake didn't make any money at all. The thing I'm curious about with this movie is. David Niven's the star of the film, but the movie is literally chock full of famous people um, in, I'm assuming, a series of cameo roles, uh, like Marlena Dietrich is in it, and um, Buster Keaton is in it, (laughs) and 
um frank sinatra red skelton um you know uh, uh shirley mclean like um all these people and only i think i only think a few of these people have roles that are more than a couple minutes you mm. know and right. and so the interesting thing about this movie will be you know watching and in fascination as as peter laurie shows up for a couple minutes and you're like wait what <laughs> wait what's happening <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing here um, so so that aspect of the movie will be interesting yeah i am i am apprehensive to watch it as well but also very curious i don't know maybe i'm gonna love it you never know <laughs> we will get into more about around the world in 80 days next week in the meantime i cannot recommend marty enough to everyone on who's listening to this go out find it you can find it online just do it do yourself a favor watch this movie it's one of the the most unusual but surprisingly amazing films to win best picture we'll be with you next week everybody bye 